Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, Mark Striegel checking in with you with a little pre-show message. What you're about to hear in tonight's podcast is actually a, a test run that Victor and myself did on the new live stream that we have going on on TalkingMetal.com. So basically, if you go to TalkingMetal.com, on the right-hand side of the screen, you will see a live 365 player that is uh, basically spinning music all day long. Sometimes you'll hear Victor or myself or maybe even John Astronomy hop on there live and say a few words to you. Um, there's different uh, podcasts. Sometimes we'll pull up an old Talking Metal episode from the archives. That, that'll pop up on that live player. But for the most part, it's just music that you hear playing. So if you're at work and you just want to hear some great music programmed by the Talking Metal guys and the Mars Attacks guys, go to TalkingMetal.com and listen to that player, the Live 365 player. It is streaming at 128, which is, uh, I believe, a higher quality rate than in Sirius Satellite Radio. And it's a hell of a lot cheaper. It's free, guys. You can listen to that music for free. So having said that, we have been doing these test live shows. I think there's been three of them done so far. Victor did one on his own. I, I did one with Victor a couple weeks ago, and then we did one just recently. And we're still working out all the kinks and the bugs, and it's not perfect. It's far from perfect. There are quality issues that you're going to hear tonight, and um, again, this is because it was a live show. It was done live. The mics peaked out at certain points, and we're still learning how to do this. So what you're going to hear tonight is uh, a test run on the new live stream, uh, a recording of, of a test run. And uh, it was actually done on Friday, that Friday of the Memorial Day weekend last week. So um, cool. Check it out. Enjoy it. Have a great week, and I'll check in with you very soon with another episode of Talking Metal. You're listening to the Talking Metal Podcast with your host, Mark Striegel, and special guest co-host, Victor M. Ruiz. iTunes number one hard rock and metal podcast. I'm Bud Friendly. Now, here are your hosts... Mark and Victor. For the podcast version, and we will.
start right now. So, Victor, why don't you uh, give a official uh, hello there? Welcome, one and all, to another edition of Talking Metal. And about 3,000 miles away, we have my good friend, Mark Striegel. Hey, Victor, how are you? Thanks for planning this out tonight. This show is pretty much exclusively planned out by Victor from the Mars Attacks podcast. We are here on the live stream. It's a Friday night. And right now we're calling this live stream Mark Striegel Media. That may change in the future, but you're going to hear a lot of great music programmed by Victor and myself on this stream 24-7. You're going to hear episodes of Mars Attacks, Victor's podcast. You're going to hear episodes of Talking Metal. You're going to hear selected music blocks. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the different music blocks we have going on, Victor? Sure, yeah. No no problem. We've um, uh, gone ahead and pretty much tried to um, put some blocks together of music that you know that we think that you guys will enjoy we put together in a 70s and 80s like classic rock classic hard rock mix i would say um we've also put together an 80s um a playlist which is completely different which isn't you know as much aerosmith and maiden or, i'm sorry it isn't as much um aerosmith and zeppelin and things of that nature it's more maiden priest uh you do have ozzy thrown in there things of that nature uh, Thursday nights, you have a good mix of the harder stuff, more uh, heavier on the heavier side. Not extreme metal, but um, stuff like Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, things of that nature. And um, as Mark mentioned, we have Talking Metal on Tuesdays. We'll have Mars Attacks on Fridays. And on Saturday nights, we'll have Spandex Saturday nights. Nothing but, you know, the good old bands that a lot of people got hooked on um in the 80s whether you love them or not some people have grown fond of them over the years but you know we think that there are enough people out there that love a lot of these bands so we've got yeah now i was i was looking over the playlist that you had for saturday what is saturday night spandex right yes that's the greatest name guys and victor actually (laughs) came up with that name i'm ready to start a whole separate podcast just called saturday night spandex because i love it (laughs) um and the cult was in there like would you call would they i mean when i think of spandex i don't really think of a band like the cult um but i guess people who maybe were wearing spandex back in the day or who knows currently wearing spandex (laughs) would would maybe like that band well here here's the thing and it's it's funny that you mentioned this there was another one of these great lists today about the greatest hair metal albums of the 80s and the cult was in there guns and roses was in there um and there was another band uh, tesla was in there and i forget uh, some of the others i think that there's such a fine line between image and music where i think you could definitely separate the cult from say poison uh, but at the same time i think the same people that are checking poison out love the cult as well so I think they sort of do go hand in hand. Uh, you know, I, I think the lines are really blurred with a lot of what came out in the 80s. And maybe, um, you know, as the generations have, have grown older and whatnot, maybe some of the poser music. And at the same time, you have younger kids that are saying, oh, I don't know, you know, I can't mix, you know, uh, 
um, Guns N' Roses with Poison because of this or because of that. But in the end, you know, at one point or the other, you see pictures of a lot of these bands. They did have the puffed up hair. They did have spandex. That's true. I mean, even look at how Guns N' Roses looked when they first hit the scene. You know, I mean, they were so glammed out. And uh, I used to know somebody who lived in Seattle. And they used to go to the clubs uh, back in the in the late '80s in Seattle, and they, you know, swore to me that Alice in Chains was like a glam metal band back in those days, you know. Yeah, and if you listen to uh, what's the name of their box set, Nothing Face, I think. Um, I think so yeah. Yeah, they have tracks on there that sound like Van Halen, you know. So they definitely were going for that type of vibe, and obviously they evolved to what all of us have. Um, become accustomed to uh, listening from them. Interesting that you bring Alice in Chains up. There was something that I listened to you comment on in one of the last uh, Talking Metal podcasts, the whole uh, William Duvall sounding like Lane Stanley uh, bit, which I'm with you. He sounds nothing like Lane Stanley. He does a great job filling in, but I think a lot of people don't realize how much Jerry Cantrell actually you know, contributes to that Alice in Chains sound. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, those first two records, you really had Lane doing a lot of the vocals, but even on, you know, songs like Man Man in the Box and stuff, Lane, or not Lane, Jerry did a lot of the uh, the, the harmony vocals. But I think as, uh, you know, and, and sap of course was in there the great acoustic ep and then by the time you got to jar of flies you know the kind of the second acoustic ep i mean jerry was really literally doing lead on excuse me a beer burp uh, on a lot of those songs there and i think that's partly because lane staley's uh you know health had just deteriorated so much and um yeah, and it's like, you know, William now in the band has an incredibly strong voice. But yeah, I, I really don't think he, he sounds that much like Lane. I think he, he delivers the songs great and, and pulls pulls off all the songs and they sound so great. But I think a lot of these people are like, oh, he sounds just like Lane. No, that's Jerry sounding just like Jerry. You yeah, know? yeah, I, I agree. And um, one of the things that, the two of us talked about the the first time that we hooked up doing a show was the whole branding of bands. Um, it's sort of a shame that Jerry Cantrell put out so many strong solo albums and they went, you know, completely, they, they've been completely ignored. But once you slap that name brand on there, you know, once, yeah. once you put Tide on there or whatever, you know, um, all of a sudden everyone flocks to it. Wow. Did you hear you know, the latest Alice in Chains. And it's like, what did you not check out Boggy Depot and everything else that came out in between? That's just as good and exciting. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think Jerry probably realized that more than anybody, you know, and it's like, I, I do think, you know, when, when a singer dies, the, the fans are, are a lot more forgiving than say they are when the singer quits the band absolutely and they get somebody else you yeah. know and i think uh it's it's funny because we we went and saw allison chains live two weeks ago in um bethlehem pennsylvania at mail and it was in it was in pennsylvania so you know and i love i love i loved it out there because it was you know the true-blooded kind of american rock fans it wasn't your new york city 
hipsters. Um, and, <laughs> and a lot of times, you know, the people in New York might would say to me, well, those people don't even realize that, you know, you know, slash isn't in guns and roses or those people out in middle America don't even realize that, you know, Jeff Tate's not in Queensryche or those people out there don't realize that, you know, Lane's dead and he's not touring with Allison and chains. And I honestly, these people did, they, they got it. The, the, the whole place was packed. I mean, it, uh, I'm, I'm guessing it was sold out cause you couldn't move in the, uh, I wouldn't call it a, 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 an arena in the casino, but it was like a Roseland size room. You couldn't move. And Roseland is a big, uh, theater, uh, hall in New York city. If you're, if you're wondering what Roseland is. So and he's a big, big space. And, you know, during some in between some of the songs, the, the, the crowd actually started going, Jerry, 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 Jerry. And it made me think, you know, they, they get it. They get that this is, you know, for the most part, Jerry Cantrell's thing. And he, you know, wrote most of those songs, like songs yeah. like The Rooster, which is a song that Lane did sing, I think, all of, you know, that was written solely by by jerry and lane did have some writing credits of course but sure. it was it was mostly um jerry i in a lot of ways i always can feel like he was kind of the pete townsend he he was he's he's to allison chains what pete townsend was or is to the who yeah i i agree 100 percent. it's a shame but you know I, I guess the fans that really are the diehards really do know and it's cool that you mentioned that um, that people were chanting his name and do appreciate, you know, what what he's doing. And and it is unfortunate also what you mentioned about, you know, the, the, the handlebar wearing fellas in New York not appreciating that, you know, that uh, <laughs> that, you know, the rest of the country actually digs good music. So, um Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I, yeah, I, I, that's uh, it, it. It's so true, and you know, and it's um, you know, I, I love New York more than any place on the planet, to be honest. But, but, but there is something that that in some time, in some ways, is almost more true when when you go out to these these places in the Midwest or even, excuse me, just across the the PA border from New Jersey here and. And you can see, you know, that, that, that people really still love their, their, their rock music and it's, it's great. You know, I mean, I go back and forth, you know, is, is hard rock and heavy metal? Is it dead? Is it alive? What, what the hell's going on? And it's like, you know, I go see UDO play in, in New York city and, and they only get 350 people showing up, but yet you know, I go see Metallica and they sell out, you know, the, the arena in Newark, New Jersey, uh, two nights in a row, you know, 15,000 plus each night and they sell it out in like 10 minutes. I mean, that might be a slight exaggeration, but not much. Right. Yeah. They're, they're still packing people in. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, should we get into some more music? Yeah, let's get into. Let's see if I can pull this off. Uh, the Alice in Chains track was actually further down the list. Let's see if I could kick this off. I have to do these 
these live shows right now. Victor has really taken the reins here and is doing a great job learning this whole Live 365 software. So bear with us. Uh, there will definitely be technical errors. If it sounds halfway decent, we may put this out in a podcast version on Talking Metal and or Mars Attacks uh, RSS feeds. So again, thanks for bearing with us and thanks for listening to this test live episode of Talking Metal and uh, Mars Attacks. You are listening to a podcast version of The Last Live Show, where we play abbreviated versions of the songs. To hear the songs in full, go to TalkingMetal.com and use the iTunes links in today's show notes to open your iTunes. There you can purchase the music. Using the link also helps support what we do here. Thanks for your support.
Newstead's new project, just called Newstead. Had you heard that track before, Mark? Uh, I had not, actually. You know, I'm listening I'm listening to us talk right now, Victor, over, and it still sounds just a slightly bit distorted. Let me know what you guys think. Tweet me at Talking Metal, and let us know how it sounds over your speakers at home. But to answer your question, uh, I, 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 I I'm embarrassed to say I haven't been too up on the the Newstead album that came out, and uh, you know it's I I, I don't know I, I just there's something about it that didn't excite me. Just having not heard it, just there's something about knowing that he was putting out a record uh, that just didn't excite me. I'm I'm not I'm not sure why. Um, it's a whole nother conversation because I, I do like the stuff he did with Metallica, you know, but um, I almost felt like his attitude in recent years, like in, in interviews and even in that stupid, some kind of monster movie kind of turned me off a bit. Um, I think he, he admitted to being like drugged up when he did the, some kind of monster stuff that he was, you know, bitter and, and in a bad place personally. And, um, that was like a step away from him starting to abuse painkillers after the whole uh, rock star debacle. Um, the EP. Oh, I totally forgot he was on that show, right? Yeah. So I mean, that was. I mean, I I'm thankful that I never got to see that. But uh, you know what? What a cast of characters. Uh, Jason Newstead, Gilby Clark, and uh, Tommy Lee. I mean. Um, I don't know. It just seems like an odd mix, but uh, anyway, go, go ahead, Mark. No, no, no. I was just. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I, you know that rock star thing. That was uh, there was the one season where they did in excess, right? And then there yeah. was the other season that they did um, the thing you were talking about. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I I don't know. I I don't know, and uh, I do need to check it out because what I was just hearing on uh, on the stream here sounded pretty cool. What do you think of it? I mean, the the EP sound sounded, you know, to me sounds pretty neat. Um, he's not reinventing the wheel here. I mean, I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, it doesn't sound that different from what he did in the past. Well, you know, he, he'd actually done a lot of different projects that sounded nothing like Metallica, and this is the first thing that he's come back to that remotely sounds stereo. Um, the one thing that I have found pretty interesting is, you know, people sort of – Calling into question him covering some Metallica songs live um, that he didn't actually write. I don't know. Uh, he he's part of Metallica's history, so I mean, it isn't as if you know. I don't know. He he doesn't have a right to cover the songs. Um, he's co he's covering Whiplash. He's doing My Friend of Misery, and he's doing Creeping Death. So. You know, he's really only doing one overly popular song by the band. So, I mean, I don't know. After all the years... I mean, why... Yeah, but I, I mean, let's let's look at this. I, I just thought it was weird because obviously 
I, I tuned in this week to see him get pushed off stage or whatever happened. There was right. that YouTube clip and they were playing whiplash when that happened. Right. And I, I always can't, you know, help but think, you know, I, how many people in the audience realize that he didn't play on whiplash, you know, and I guess I should give, like I was saying earlier, give, let's give the audience credit. I guess they all, the majority of them probably realize that he didn't play on whiplash, but yeah, I mean, why not cover something off like, you know, the five ninety eighty P? I mean, that, there was great stuff on there. I mean, you know, uh, and justice for all. Uh, I mean, there's, he, he, I mean, the Did black play album on is one of the biggest selling albums <laughs> of all time. I mean, you know, why why not hit one of those songs, you know? Right. And that's surprising because on the Black Album, he did write a song, you know? Yeah, which song did he write? Um, good question. It's it's one of the lesser... Yeah, not to put you on the spot, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, I think, The God That Failed, maybe? It's, it's one of the lesser played songs, but... Um, now, did he do any Flotsam and Jetsam? I don't believe so. I believe it's all original music and the three Metallica songs. But it would make sense, you know. He he basically wrote everything in Flotsam when he was part of the band. Yeah, and I, but it's just I don't know if anybody cares. I mean, I saw <laughs> – yeah, kind of to go off on a side note, I, I saw Flotsam and Jetsam at the Empire Rock Club in Philadelphia. Um, but it was after Jason had left the band. Uh and they were they were very good live at the time, and they always I thought felt like you know got a little boost from him joining Metallica because some right. suddenly everybody was talking about his ex band, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that was my impression at the time as well. All of a sudden, you started seeing, you know, um, all the various uh, Flotsam artwork out there, and people going back to see what he had done previous. And I, I guess when uh, you know. Going back to my uh, snide remark there a moment ago, I guess people were trying to figure out once they heard Injustice for All if he actually played on anything previous. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it's weird that he's playing Creeping Death and Whiplash um, in in concert. That's just uh, my take on it. I mean, I think Bruce Kulik, hasn't he done similar things where he's played like older Kiss songs and stuff? Yeah. But but I th well yeah actually they he's done strange ways and and things of that nature but with most of the tours he's done especially the last few years he's had Eric Singer uh, okay playing you know on on most of um, on most of those tours so I guess you could you know I, I don't know I, I guess you could say that that it's sort of more you know Eric uh, doing an extension of what he does. Whiplash is uh, I've actually spent this entire week listening back to the um, Metallica 30th anniversary shows and he's, okay. he does sing Whiplash in concert during uh, during those dates uh, was actually uh, okay yeah so that's so maybe he felt like oh, okay I did it there you know this gives me license to do it on my my tour I, I guess and he actually credits you know the fans that showed up for those dates as being the ones that actually, you know, sort of opened the door for him to get back into metal to sort of say, okay, well, you know what, maybe I am actually missed here. Didn't I read something though, that like one of the guys in Metallica actually was giving him a hard time about that too. Like, you know, what are you doing? You need to embrace the fan base and stuff like that. Um, I believe I read something similar as well. You know, yeah. I don't remember who said it, but I mean, you could tell, I mean, 
when he came out, people went apeshit. You know, when 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 he was out up on stage, they were chanting his name and everything else. And you know, for for better or worse, you know, uh, regardless of what people want to say about the band's history, he was technically part of you know their biggest selling you know era. He played on the Black Album. I mean, that's the biggest right. selling not only metal album of all time, but the biggest selling album of the last 20 years. So, I mean, that does, in my opinion, hold a lot of weight behind it. Yeah. I mean, totally, totally. And it, that really is impressive. The, the biggest selling album of the past 20 years is the black album. And, uh, so I guess it's no wonder Metallica still tend to do really, really well when they go on tour and they just have some hard, really hardcore fans, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I saw them perform the Black Album in its entirety last year, and it was ridiculous because the place was packed. This was at a festival. It was at last year's Sonosphere here in Spain. And supposedly there were 60,000 people there watching Metallica play. So, wow. And singing along to everything, and I mean, it was it was really cool. It's actually next to uh, Army Barracks, so it was funny because you'd see all the, the soldiers were like hanging out of the actual barracks checking the uh the show out along with you know a slew of people all along the street so it was a pretty surreal uh um like backdrop right bert gabriel i believe just uh facebooked me saying where are the forums the talking metal <laughs> forums those those are long dead bert gabriel long dead those those haven't been around in a while bert has been probably a little out of the talking metal loop for a while uh hope you're doing well Bert gabriel if you're listening thanks for uh tuning in we we hope you're staying out of the tijuana prisons <laughs> yeah totally uh <laughs> all right so what else is going on in the rock and roll world we had uh stone temple uh reappear right stone temple pilots yeah after months of hearing uh, Scott Weiland say how they can't fire me. There's a clause, you know, there's this, there's that. Uh, all of a sudden they appear last weekend. With, that was great. That TMZ clip where he's in the airport and he's just like, Oh yeah, they, they, no, the band's still together. They, they, uh, they can't fire me. We have an agreement. There's a contract. I, I, the, the, it's just, they must've, <laughs> they must've gotten a good lawyer to figure out how to work around that agreement. Yeah. Yeah, or, you know, he's not up to speed with what's actually going on, which in a lot of these cases, you know, when you hear about rock stars, you know, um, losing track of where they're – with everything that he's been involved in, uh, you know, over the years, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, I also wondered, you know, if he somehow viol violated the contract by um, going out and doing this solo tour that he was doing. And he was doing a solo tour where he was playing, if I'm not mistaken, a good part of uh, their first album. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if he, like some, maybe, who knows, in the legal world, he violated, by going out and playing the songs that he did with this band, somehow violated his contract. That's just a, a theory. Who knows if it's even true? Don't, don't hold any weight to that. But, uh, the choice of, of the singer they brought in to, uh, I guess replace him is interesting because they, they've tried this before, you know, yeah. there was, um, what was that one band? Was it talk show or something? Do you remember that? There was talk show, which sounded 
very different to STP, and they had a singer that sounded very different. And then they had um, Army of Anyone, which had Richard Patrick of Filter, and had Ray Luzier on drums, who's now in Corn. And, right, and they had the uh, the DeLeo brothers, right? That's their name. Exactly. Um, yeah, we, we actually had them on. We had uh, not Rob. Was it? I think we had James DeLeo on. No, what, what's the Point Pleasant, New Jersey natives? Actually, no, 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 no. Robert DeLeo. Robert DeLeo is the guy we had on years okay. ago. He's he was the bass player of, of Stone Temple Pilots and also the bassist of Army of Anyone and. Uh, he, um, yeah, that was a great band, Army of Anyone. Uh, I went and great actually album. saw them play yeah. down at the Bowery Ballroom. Yeah, great album. I mean, I'm a big Richard Patrick fan. And uh, the first thing that I thought of when I heard this track was, you know, it sounded as if they got someone to emulate, to sort of be an in-between between Wylan and um, Richard Patrick. Right. Um, the one odd thing that I did want to comment on before jumping into the track is if I'm not mistaken, uh, Chester Bennington is also one of the people that Velvet Revolver tried out. Is it? Wow. Wow. That's, that's very interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised because I mean, don't Lincoln Park just, I would think they just make a ton of money and, and you know, he could just stay with them and be, be better off. I mean, I, I but what do I know? He's he's saying that they are one of his um, most influential bands. That their first few albums uh, got him to become a singer, and so on and so forth. So, who knows? Maybe it's one of those deals where he says, "You know what? I have all the money I need. I just want to go out and have fun with these guys and sort of live, you know, a dream." Who knows? Right. Cool. Well, let's check this out. I actually haven't heard this song yet, so... Okay. Name of the track is Out of Time. listening to a podcast version of the last live show where we play abbreviated versions of the songs to hear the songs in full go to talkingmetal.com and use the itunes links in today's show notes to open your itunes there you can purchase the music
back, doing my best uh, imitation there of Bud Friendly jumping back in. And I see nice. that as, as we turn the uh, the mic back on, the volume jumps right back up. So it's got to be something automatic in the software. And so what are you doing? Are you, like, adjusting it back down every time then? Yeah, I just caught it that it went from 10 to a volume of 90. So I just brought it back down to 10. Interesting. All right, guys, you are listening to a test live episode of Talking Metal and Mars Attacks. You got Mark Striegel and Victor Ruiz. And if you're listening to the the podcast version of this, you're hearing us do a live show and work out some of the kinks. So uh, if it's bothering you listening to the kinks, you can uh, shut it off or you can laugh at us or you can do whatever you want. But uh, we're having fun. We're listening to music that track to me sounded a very stone temple pilots so yeah. uh they're definitely you know keeping their their sound and i think that's the important thing for a band like that you know s- stay on brand if you will but you know going back to what i said earlier i think they're going to have the the problem that that so many bands have had when you try to replace a singer in that uh you know the fans um Unless the guy died, a lot of times the fans aren't that accepting. I mean, there's yep. a few exceptions, sure. I mean, Van Halen, of course, did really well after Roth left, but there was there was always a big portion of of, of those uh, David Lee Roth era Van Halen fans that never even even with Sammy's history and it was a good credible history, you know, of solo records and Montrose, still didn't accept him as the singer of Van Halen. Um, so. But I would say they're an exception because they did really well with Hagar, too. I think the best example, though, is Maiden by far. Because if you look at yeah. Sabbath, Sabbath had issues all the time. Uh, Deep Purple, even. I mean, when Ian Gillen sure. is technically the second singer. Uh, but even you know when David Coverdale came in and, and everyone else that followed him, obviously they've had issues. But Bon Scott to Brian Johnson there's really been no issues there. You know, it's exactly what you're saying. That's a perfect example. Yeah. And I think with the deep purple iron maiden examples that you, uh, that you give you, you know, you're exactly right. But you know, I mean, deep purple did have a a hit in, in the States with, with hush, I guess, before Gillen joined, but in general, they, 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 they really didn't break super big in the States at least. And I think in Europe too, for that matter, Iron Maiden, you know, although they, they were do, they were starting to do well and they'd done a tour of the States with Deano and, and, you know, toured the world with him. It it was really that, that number of the beast album that really brought them kind of more into the, uh, the public eye of the metal community worldwide. And so, so maybe that's why, I mean, blaze didn't fare too well in maiden, you know, with the fan base. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we could go on and on Ripper Owens. There's, you know, so many people that didn't fare well. And it's interesting how, you know, almost the lines are drawn between one guy and another, but, um, you know, in the end, I, I think you gotta, you know, enjoy what you have to an extent. And I think with the years that Halford was away from Priest, he put out a lot of great albums. Same thing with uh, with Bruce, which we sort of touched upon last week. Um, a shame that maybe those albums aren't known as much, 
because they don't have the maiden or, or priest name behind them. But still, you know, I think in the end the fans sort of won out because you you were getting two great albums a year by, you know, um, Halford or you know Dickinson solo and then Maiden on their own. So, you know, what's interesting about Maiden too and and Blaze. I mean, I know you've interviewed Blaze on yes. your show, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. But it, it, you know, it was that, that greatest hits record that they put out. Um, what was it? Probably a couple of years ago at this point, uh, where they um, did a couple Blaze songs on the Greatest Hits record, which was yes. uh, what was that called? That was called uh, From Here. Uh, I'm looking compilations records. I'm online. From Here, From Fear to Eternity, the best of the '90s. Now they, I, I know on that record they did at least what one or two two the, Blaze era songs, and they, they did. Two, they yeah. chose it instead. Instead of putting the Blaze, the original recording studio versions of those, they put, you know, newer live versions with Dickinson singing yes. songs, which I, I really felt was was kind of a, a slap in the face uh, to to Blaze. Uh, did you ask I ask him about that when you interviewed him? Um, that that's actually one of my strangest interviews ever. <laughs> so I was sort of I sort of didn't know where to go with him because right off the bat I usually ask people if they don't want to um you know talk about certain things. You have someone that's had history in other bands and maybe they just want to focus on you know what they're releasing or a set of shows that they're doing and they don't want to talk about Maiden or they don't want to talk about, you know, who they were with in the past. So I ask him and, you know, is there anything, you know, you don't want me to bring up? And he says to me, you know, nonchalantly, motorcycles. I'm like, what? <laughs> motorcycles? Why the fuck right. am I going to ask you about a motorcycle, you know? And then later on I read that it was one of the rumors about him being tossed for Maiden was because he'd gotten into a motorcycle accident. And then there uh. was some tie-in with his wife that had passed away you know shortly before i interviewed him as well so you know it sort of made sense after but it threw me for a loop you know um initially uh, i did ask him you know uh what it was like um when he was out of the band whether you know the band asked him to leave and under what circumstances or did he see the writing on the wall and he just left and he pretty much said that you know, he knew the band wanted Bruce back to go and that um, he still loved what he had done with the band and that, you know, he understood that that sort of propelled him to being a worldwide name. So he was grateful and at the same time was, I think, realistic with, uh, you know, his assessment of the whole situation. You know, I saw them uh, in, in concert with Blaze once and the found that he was definitely having some some trouble with his his voice and right. I, I i always kind of thought well maybe it was just an off night for him when i saw him but in in the book the iron maiden book the autobiography run to the hills uh they they actually mentioned that he was having a hard time live just keeping it up night after night so uh yeah too too bad um and in some ways, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on the music he's put out post Maiden, but uh, that some of that stuff is is pretty decent, right? Yeah, I've lost track the last few years, um, but some of the first few albums did have some quality material on it. Um, after that, I sort of lost track because he had, 
he'd started, you know, recycling members and the, the quality, in my opinion, uh, started coming down with the material. But he, some of the, I would say the first three or four albums he put out post Maiden were fairly strong. Cool. Yeah, somebody just, a uh, friend John, just not John Astronomy, different John, just texted me saying that, you know, Mark taking over for uh, Udo in Accept, that he's been quite successful, which I, I think in some ways he, he has been, at least with the, the critics, you know, um, Blood of Nations, a, a very successful record as right. far as reviews go. What's what's your thought on uh, Mark taking over for uh, Udo Dirk Schneider? His last name in Spanish actually means screw, as in a oh, yeah? a screw as in a nail and a screw, not as actually screwing someone. But um, anyway, I I think that that Blood of Nations album is great. You know, it's got a lot of strong material on it. But I also have to agree with Udo's assessment uh, during the interview that you did with him. Right. I really was looking forward to Stalingrad. I'd read some reviews, and some people had said it was stronger than Blood of Nations. And it's a good album, but I don't think it's as strong as Blood of Nations. I, I think what he mentions um, might be spot on. You know, they, the album, as you said, was successful with the critics. A lot of people, you know, went out to see them play. And, you know, a lot of times when bands are remotely successful, they need to, you know, strike again while the iron's hot. And I think that may have been the case with with Accept. I don't think it's a bad album, you know, but I don't think it's up to the standards of Blood of Nations. Totally. And what about, of course, I think, you know, we got to get to some music here, but what about Queensryche? I haven't listened to the entire Tate album, and it isn't because I didn't like it. I just haven't had the time to listen to it. But the the one single, Cold, everyone is all up in arms over the sound of the distortion and this and that. And I don't know. Being a fan of industrial music, that's a type of distortion that I've been used to listening to for about 20 years. So, I mean... That's not a big deal. As we had discussed in the past, the song that Queensryche has put out is too as if we're getting, you know, Queen of the Reich Part 2. There may be, uh, or at least from the single Redemption, it seems like they're going to be, um, you know, a lot truer to what the band was originally known for, up to maybe the Mindcrime album. But it still doesn't mean that they're not going to tweak things to modernize it and to try to get, you know, other fans to listen to it. Totally. And, uh, yeah, so we got listeners cause people are texting me. People are on Facebook. People are tweeting. David Isaac, uh, was the one who suggested us talking about Queens right there. Uh, Arun just texted me saying Chester Pendleton rules. Who the hell is Chester Pendleton? I guess he means Bennington. <laughs> Bennington? Oh, I I don't know. For the from Lincoln Park, I guess. I mean, I don't. Oh, know. oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> I I don't know. Yeah, Ben Pen Pendleton. What's it? Oh, see, I don't even know. Is that the guy's Bennington, name? Chester yeah, Pendleton. Chester Chester Bennington. Oh, Bennington. Okay. 
So well, I don't know who Chester Pen- Pendleton is, but uh, whoever he uh, is, we wish him lots of luck. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here's Bert Gabriel checking in. Wow. So uh, cool. Glad we got some listeners out there. Let's get into a little more music. What do we got on deck here now? A little, a little uh, David Bowie, maybe? Yes, we do. And we sort of wanted to bring up real quickly the death of a very important bass player that maybe doesn't get the recognition of a lot of, you know, like Steve Harris's or Chris Squires or people of that nature. But I can bet that, you know, Trevor Boulder has influenced Steve Harris and a lot of other bass players that have come out in the late 70s, uh, early 80s, especially due to his work uh, with David Bowie and the Spiders from Mars and later on with his work in uh, Uriah Heep, a, you know, perennial frontrunner in, you know, progressive hard rock. Yeah, and I actually think you could argue that he had an influence uh, just with his look that he had in in 1971 and, and, you know, with David Bowie, really like kind of, you know, laying the groundwork for, for uh, you know, the look that the New York Dolls would have and then later would be taken up by, you know, a lot of the L.A. glam metal, hard rockers, even, you know, Nikki Six for that that matter, that, sure. that hairstyle. I, I always thought that he had this kind of cool rocker look and that his look was, was uh, ahead of its time. And uh, let's face it, you know, Ziggy Stardust, that he played on numerous Bowie records as well as numerous Uriah Heep records uh but let's face it ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars a very influential record on all styles of music including hard rock and heavy metal bands like racer x covering moon age daydream off that record and in 1971 guys this was a hard rock record i mean it even it even said right in the back you know this record is meant to be played at maximum volume or or something to that that matter and uh One of my favorite records of all time, period. Okay, cool. So let's check out a song that I'm sure a lot of you are very well versed in. This is uh, Suffragette City, and our thoughts and prayers go out to the family of... Down. 
wonderful work there as we're trying this test run of the live stream and the mic jumps back up to enormous proportions. Yeah. Huh. Is there any way you can adjust that before we go on air, I wonder? The thing is, once I hit the mic button, like once I turn the mic off, it automatically goes down to zero. Once I turn it back on, it automatically jumps back up to 90. So I guess hmm. we're going to have to uh, uh, somehow get used to you know, turning it down real quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Guys, you're listening to our test run of the Talking Metal live show, the Mars Attacks live show. And there's a good chance we will put this up as a podcast. So uh, if you're listening to the podcast version, you are hearing all the um, the little clunks and kinks be worked out in a live broadcast on May. What is today? 24th? May 24th, Friday night? Yes. Uh, it's already May 25th over there in Spain, where yes, Victor is, is yeah. uh, up in the middle of the night. So... David Bowie, of course, a, a rocker who did some acting on the screen uh, in numerous different movies. What was that, like Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence or something? Yeah. Uh, what was that? What the fuck was that? Yeah, there, there was that. There was Labyrinth. There Labyrinth, was, yeah. Uh, he was actually in um, a, a movie, which is when he disappeared. Um, he the Prestige. Played, he, he did in The Prestige. He played yeah. Nikola Tesla. And that was the last we saw from him for so many years up until, what, this year or late last year, was it? Yeah. I love that movie, guys, if you did yep. The Prestige, by the way. It's uh, uh, Christopher Nolan, right, who did yes. uh, the three Batman movies. He did, I think, in between the first and second movie, a movie called The Prestige, which is about these two magicians. Um, and uh, great stuff, if, if you yep. haven't seen it. And definitely uh, Christian Bale is uh, in it as well as Hugh Jackman, Michael Caine and uh, yeah, from the Batman movies, Michael Caine, yep. uh, that, that's his name, right? Michael yes. Caine. Yeah. And uh, Hugh Jackman and who's the, the Scarlett Johansson. Piper and, Caribou as well. She, yeah. She plays right. the, um, uh, Hugh Jackman's wife that drowns in the beginning of the movie. Right. Right. Spoiler alert in, uh, excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, so anyways, thanks for joining us on talking metal live. And we are talking about a rocker who, um, appeared in movies. And now I want to segue into a rocker who released, uh, who I, uh, remember, I mean, back in the day he was like going to do a movie to, for crazy, crazy, crazy yeah. from the heat was going to be a movie and Dave TV. Dave TV, yeah, and they were, it never happened. There was a screenplay. I know he's, he talks about it, I believe, in his book. Yeah, he never really successfully made the, the jump to the big screen. But just this week, he released some bizarre little, like, four-minute video. And I want to yeah. get your take on the video. I watched it today. I, 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 when I turned on it at work, I was like, oh no, I, I just, I can't bear to watch this for 20 minutes. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> my attention is going to be lost. I got work to do. And I was excited when I clicked on the clip and saw it was only four, four minutes, minutes yeah. thinking that it would keep my attention. But I got to tell you by 90 seconds, I was like already like spaced out and having trouble paying attention to it. Strange. And I guess the question is why? It's interesting. Uh, it, it follows the pattern of people that go to Japan to do commercials, 
to do all types of publicity things. Dave goes over there to do a short film, which he writes and produces and feels the need to, I don't know, show his, the, the Tarantino he has in him. I don't know. Yeah. It's very kill bill, uh, feel. It has subtitles and, uh, just the look of it. And the, the thing about it is, uh, again, I, after 90 seconds, I was having trouble focusing on the storyline, but basically Dave walks into some sort of weird place. Like at first I thought it was a horror house, but yeah. it was like a gambling house or something. Yeah. Like some back and alley gambling. Yeah. Like and there's game. these guys gambling and they're basically talking in Japanese saying a bunch of stuff like you stupid American and they, you know, making fun of, you know, fried chicken and stuff. And I guess they believe that he, doesn't understand them. Right. Right. And then it turns out that, Hey, he speaks Japanese and he understands all this bad stuff they're saying about, about him. And I guess he then spoiler, spoiler alert. I hate that word. Those ter- that term, by the way, but I'll say it. He goes on to kill them. Now, the thing that is crazy about this is three weeks ago on HBO's game of Thrones, the Targaryen chick, uh, the Khaleesi, whatever the yep. fuck her name is, this, it, it's the same freaking story. She is, you know, goes to buy these slaves mm-hmm. and this guy doesn't think she understands what he's the language he's speaking. And he's calling her a slut and a whore and a fucking idiot and all this stuff. And then in the end, they turn it around and suddenly she like freaking kills the dude and unleashes the dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you do you watch Game of Thrones? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So isn't isn't is it possible that three weeks ago Dave saw that? I mean, I know Game of Thrones is a book, and he could have read it years ago, but sure, it saw that and was like, "Hey, fellas, let's put together a uh, a video where I go in and yeah." I mean, it's 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 so close in storyline to that story thread of game of thrones that in that one episode three weeks ago that it just uh, it made me wonder could he have thrown that little thing together in three weeks and maybe he could have um being a video producer guy i i think shooting and editing it's probably highly unlikely uh and it's probably just a coincidence that the storyline is similar but Maybe not, because, you know, it is possible he could have thought. Knowing Dave's past with little people, I'm sure that he's a big fan of the show to begin with. Um, with, um, now I don't remember the character's name, but another New Jersey Peter, nerd. Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage, there you go. Great, great actor who's done millions of roles and been funny and great at all of them. And I have a metal-related Peter Dinklage story, by the way. Oh, you do? Uh, yeah. One of the first Talking Metal interviews we did, and he pay, plays uh, Tyron uh, Lannister, Lannister, right? Yeah. Tyron, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, one of the first Talking Metal interviews I did, because um, uh, I think John did the first couple bunch of interviews. He's a striper. But I interviewed Fireball Ministry okay. down uh, at the Knitting Factory in the lower Manhattan there. And it was there was like 30 people in the room when they played. Maybe 50. Eh, let's say 40. But anyways, uh, Elijah Wood was there, who, of course, played a, a little person in Lord of the Rings. Right. And an actual little person, uh, Peter Dinklage, was there rocking out to Fireball 
ministry, both uh, drinking heavily, Elijah Wood <laughs> actually making out with uh, a chick through most of the the set. So I know there's been rumors about his sexuality, but I can tell you he was definitely making out passionately with a chick through uh, most of uh, Fireball Ministries set. And uh, uh, Peter Dinklage, way, way, way pre-Game of Thrones hanging out there. I don't know what he was in at that time, if it was uh, uh, Nip and Tuck or something. Yeah, it seem, it's funny because it seems as if he's been around forever. You know, I've been seeing yeah. him in roles for such a long time. And due to Game of Thrones, you know, I looked up on uh, IMDb to see, you know, what other stuff he had been in and how many other movies I'd seen or shows with him in it. And he's not that old. I mean, uh, if if I'm not mistaken, he's uh, in his 40s. So, I mean, it was sort of odd that it just seemed like, you know, he was like Christopher Lee that you'd been seeing him – you know, for eons, and he's actually not that old. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying he's not that old because he's the same exact uh, age as me. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I, I feel fucking old, man. I mean, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I remember when I was in seventh grade and Mick Jagger turned forty. I was like, that fucking guy's fucking old, man. He's and I was and not not like he was old. He was fucking old. Yeah. I mean, I remember George <laughs> Lynch was like thirty two. And, you know, most of the metal dudes at that time, George Lynch was definitely a few years older than everybody, you know, and right. and I, I remember thinking, man, George Lynch, he's fucking old. He's 32, 33 years old, you know, and it's so it's crazy how you uh, how you judge old. But um, <laughs> there's a lot of people who think Peter Dinklage is old. Speaking of David Lee Roth, though, a definite. There's no arguing that David Lee Roth is old. He looks <laughs> he looks good, man. When he takes off his shirt, he's still in shape, you know. And and in in that film, that's the one thing I'll say that you know uh, he, he's for a guy who's got to be sixty, right, or pushing sixty. He's got to be he up around uh, there, yeah. Definitely looks good. And I mean, when I saw them play live uh, a couple years back, well, more than that, four years, four or five years back at this point, he sounded great. Yeah, I mean, for for all the knocks on, you know, on the on the latest album and you know his lyrics and this and that, you know, all the the clips that I saw, I mean, I thought he looked real good in concert. The whole band looked good in concert, and I thought the album was phenomenal. So yeah, great record, great record, and uh, fifty-seven years old, David Lee. <laughs> He's almost at sixty. Guys, thanks for listening tonight. We're going to play a little Van Halen right now, and then we will uh, come back and uh, kind of, I guess, wrap things up. Right, Victor? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Let's get into uh, speaking of a different kind of truth, and this is actually about a part of New York um, where David Lee Roth supposedly has a house or lives or is an EMT or something or other. So uh, here we go. Chinatown by Van Halen. Yeah, guys. 
You are listening to a podcast version of the last live show. We are back. That was a little VH with Chinatown. And um, one of the things that I wanted to discuss, something that I think is near and dear to a lot of us, is the whole alcoholic beverage side of music and how a lot of um, bands are now jumping on the bandwagon of getting wine and and beer out there. Uh, Yeah. the latest uh, being Maiden, there are all these, you know, press releases with Bruce and the um, the Trooper beer um, with the taps and everything else that they're putting in the pubs in England. And uh, what are your thoughts on bands using this route to uh, sort of uh, market themselves? Well, you know, I, I think I think Maiden for a a beer. I mean, it seems like they're taking it kind of seriously, and and I, I, aren't they using like a microbrewery or something to? So they, there's the brewery that's behind the Maiden beer seems to have some cred, and my dog is freaking molesting me right now. Ozzy, go away. Come on. <laughs> um. Uh. Anyways, yeah, and they seem to they seem to be taking it seriously. And I would think a band like Maiden, a band that's been known to ha- hang out at the pub, uh, that if they're going to put, you know, the the effort and the name on into, you know, researching the beer that they're going to put their name on, uh, I, I trust them. That's what I'm trying to say. I trust Maiden's beer because this is a, a pub band. Uh, they are always talking about how they go hang out at the pub before, after, sometimes they blow off rehearsal to go do it. I mean, even Bruce said when, you know, they got back together, they were supposed to go practice and they didn't even do it. They just went down to the pub and drank and yeah, Maiden, if Maiden, I'm going to trust their beer kiss, uh, with, with Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, a claim they don't even drink, you know, now I know Paul has been drunk on wine and stuff and, but you know they've they've always spoken down towards alcohol. I right. even saw Gene rip a guy a new asshole in in person uh, for being drunk. Um, and and now you know drunks and and enjoying alcohol. Maybe that's two different subjects. But I just feel like Kiss has always been so anti-alcohol that. 
they have no business releasing Kiss wine. And what are they doing now? Do they have like a, a beer house or something? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to bring up. They've they've come out like with their own hard rock cafe, and it's clean. If I'm not mistaken, there's an alcoholic connotation uh, to the actual name of the place. Yeah, they need to get Ace back in the band before I'll uh, I'll <laughs> visit that place. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. I love Kiss, of course. And uh, it is interesting that in uh, that Family Jewels episode, Gene actually uh, Gene actually gets drunk in at least one of the episodes. So uh, maybe he's turned over a new leaf. Could be. Hey, he after all these years decided to get married. So who knows? You know, I guess in the end. Uh whatever sells makes them money you know yeah and then you have of course maynard's uh maynard from tool yeah uh with his wine and he seems to be quite serious about it from uh, from what i've i've read and i saw a clip of him talking about it so i i've never i'm not a big wine guy but i, I would check that i would check his wine out and i i would uh believe that maybe it, there could be some quality there right and he's actually got a um a documentary um, regarding his vineyard and how it all came about. So it does seem like he's really involved in it. And like you're saying, it seems like there's some validity to it. And over the last few years, though, you have, you know, members of Warrant, members of Rat, um, Motorhead's put out a bunch of different wines and beers. ACDC's done the same thing. So, I mean, I, I, I can see what yeah, you're I don't saying. Know. ACDC, I don't know. They they seem like they're just into licensing the name. I mean, I do feel like Maiden has at least made the effort to act like they're not just licensing the name, right. you know, for their beer. ACDC, uh, honestly, one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, I love both eras. You know, everybody's always like this era. Brian, Bon, bon Scott is so much better. And okay, may, maybe, but there's some Brian Johnson stuff that kicks ass too. I, I, I love ACDC, and uh, I just uh, sometimes I feel like they are money grabbers. You know, they're just you know, if you pay enough to license the track for your movie, you get it. If you if you um, you know pay enough to they, they want money for everything that's that's the vibe i get from acdc and i could see them simply just licensing their name out to uh, a beer or wine company um motorhead i don't know i i kind of feel maybe the same about them this is all just speculation and guessing on on my part what are your thoughts um i mean Kiss, I think, obviously, is is them licensing the name, but I think that the majority of them is the same deal. Uh, Maiden has been the first one where you see, you know, Bruce out there. You see him with the, um, um, not the kegs, but the um, the faucets or whatever you you call it. I don't even know what what they're called. Um, where he's actually in a pub there and he's serving the beer and, and right, whatnot. Right. Yeah. So it seems Absolutely. like he's he's gone yeah there you go um where he's gone the the extra effort to actually do the marketing side of things um whereas the other bands it just appears on you know it, it, you know besides the alcohol is the the hot sauce i mean everybody's got their their freaking hot sauce now you know and it's like even our friend i say friend although i haven't spoken with him in probably a year and a half uh bumblefoot, bumblefoot yeah. has bumblefoot hot hot sauce out and 
you know, I, I actually would like to interview Bumblefoot, bring, get him back on talking metal to talk about these because I mean, did he create the hot sauce or is there just some website you can go to and you send them some, you know, labels and they slap it on the hot sauce, you know, that that's, and if that's the case, stay tuned for talking metal hot sauce. <laughs> I actually we'll, we'll go sell ahead. about three of those. <laughs> um, I actually, when I interviewed Bumblefoot, one of the things that we talked about was hot sauce. And at the time, he actually mentions how he had gone to all these restaurants uh, while he was on tour with Guns N' Roses, checking out all of the quote-unquote hottest uh, sauces in the world. And there was one place in New York that he mentions. I, I forget the name of the place. But he said that he had been there and he was like, oh, you know, this is nothing. I already have ingredients for my own sauce and uh, and it will be out shortly. And it took him a few years. I think it took him like two years maybe between the time that I interviewed him for the hot sauce to come out. But it was funny because the timing was odd because Michael Anthony has his hot sauce. Joe Perry has hot sauce. You know. Totally, yeah. So – as there's, there's there's others too I, I can't think of them off the top of my head but there's yeah. definitely others out there with hot sauce you know um now would, would yeah. you think there would be a uh john astronomy hot sauce and then a uh mark striegel hot sauce or would they yeah. just yeah mine would be hotter <laughs> <laughs> no uh yeah I, I no i i don't i don't think uh listen we you know we haven't even sold all 50 t-shirts that we had made so uh we'll, we'll probably um can bundle them hot sauce gonna, and a yeah, t-shirt yeah yeah hot sauce and t-shirt right there you go so uh by the way you can buy a talking metal t-shirt in the store section and uh guys thanks so much for listening to this episode support us by going to mark striegel media by going to uh, markstriegelmedia.com that is to talkingmetal.com to visit Victor on uh, marsattackspodcast.com right? marsattacksradio.com marsattacksradio.com damn I should know that uh, <laughs> and you got like a Facebook page that people can like Victor? Yes it is Facebook forward slash marsattacksradio and the Twitter's the only one that's sort of odd which is uh Mars Aries 2005. I couldn't get them to switch it to Mars Attacks Radio, but it is what it is. If you go to the homepage of um, MarsAttacksRadio.com, you've got links to all that good stuff. So just check that out. Cool. Yeah, somebody just uh, yeah, somebody just threw up a uh, on on Facebook just threw up a private label food branded sauces. <laughs> I'm wondering if this is a link you can go to. Yeah. Expand your brand. Yeah. This Michael uh, actually just threw this up on Facebook uh, in the comment section that you can actually, I guess, Michael, uh, what you're telling us is you can just go, yeah, here, step one, choose your product. Step two, choose your label. Step three, order <laughs> your sauce. Cool. There you go. Talking Metal Hot Sauce on the way. Thanks for the link, Michael. <laughs> Excellent. That is at, uh, let's see, uh, brandedsauces.com. There you go. John Astronomy Sweet and Sour Sauce. I can't wait to see it in the stores. <laughs> to take us out. There we go. Yeah, let's wrap things up with the Trooper. Thanks once again to everyone that checked in, listened, um, sent feedback to Mark, especially with the links on how to make our own sauces. News on that in the future. 
And uh, that's it. Thanks for uh, checking out this uh, test run, and you may be hearing this in podcast format shortly. Take care, guys.